We're at the IHI National Forum on Quality Improvement in Healthcare, and I'm with Davina Evans, who is the Chief Executive of the East London NHS Foundation Trust, a mental health hospital in East London that has uh, providing a lot of wraparound services in the community to support health in general. Great. Navina. Yep. Could you tell us a little bit about your leadership journey and something that you learned along the way that you think is really critical to how you lead and that could be helpful to others? Sure. So um, I'm a clinician. Uh, I'm a, a doctor. I trained as a doctor. I never actually ever thought when I started my career as a doctor that I would end up being a chief executive of a provider organization. Um, but along the way, I was very interested in um, service development, changing things, making things better for my colleagues and for uh, patients. So it was more than going, seeing a patient and doing my job. Um, and so I took on more and more sort of uh, op um, tasks, if you like, sort of management tasks or leadership tasks as I went along. Um, in the organisation that I worked in at the time, which is the one I now lead, there was a real drive to have clinical leaders mm. uh, responsible for delivering of, of care. Now, in the NHS, in the British or the English NHS, um, at the time when I was was working there, um, there was um, there was a kind of separation between what clinicians did and what management did. The sort of management and clinician divide, if you like. Um, and it was getting to the point where our leadership felt that we needed to bring that closer together. We pay clinicians an awful lot of money, um, and we should get you know, our money's worth from, from them. Um, and also, they had a lot of the solutions for the problems that we faced, and um, they often would stand on the sidelines commenting or giving you know, an analysis, but then sitting back uh, and expecting managers to uh, solve problems. So in our organisation, our previous chief executive made a, a policy decision, if you like, to have clinical accountability and leadership for the delivery of our outcomes. And that included things like finances, uh, performance indicators, uh, quality indicators, managing risk, and all of those things. So it was through that process that I gradually found myself uh, in a kind of uh, leadership management type role. Um, yeah, it just sort of played to my strengths. Great. Yeah. So he was really trying to bring together those two seemingly disparate parts of the care delivery system, That's right. the management and the okay. clinicians, and pull them closer together, giving yeah. clinicians a greater voice yeah. in yeah. how things were run. That's right. Appeal to you and you stepped That's in. That's right. And greater accountability as well. So, um, yes, so that's how it kind of happened. So, um, and, and I really went from, from, you know, I progressed through that. Uh, I enjoyed it. I found it really interesting. Uh, I found it really rewarding. Um, and I think the other really important thing is that I had, at various stages of my career, you might call them mentors or mm -hmm. sponsors mm -hmm. or supervisors. Okay. I mean, I think they, they inter it was interchangeable, really. Uh, all along the way, who sort of said, you need to, I'm going to push you towards this. Why don't you think about this? Why don't yeah. you do that? And it wasn't really a formal program as yeah. such. It happened in an informal way. Um, and I was curious and happy to be guided. And um, that's really how I got to this place in the end. Great. Mm. Top, top of the organization. Yes. When you think back to some of the lessons or advice that 
were shared with you. Does anything come to mind that sticks with you that is continues to be the way that you lead? Um, so I think there are probably three things that come to mind. One is um, to um, listen hard. And I try really hard to listen to people and, pl and to places uh, at places that I wouldn't normally go. So um, not really wanting to, to hear the stuff that makes me feel okay, but really the stuff that might make you feel uncomfortable. So I think that that's really important. That was really good advice. So I would seek out, you know, those, what we call in England, whinging. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually the whingers have got something quite helpful to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and if 50 people are whinging about the same thing, there's something, that, something going on there. So um, that's really important, the listening aspect of it. Um, the second thing I think um, for me is grabbing opportunities to have a go, as, as we say. Um, so not f so sort of thinking, this is unusual, I haven't got a great deal of experience here, but I will try and I will make sure I've got the right support around me. So a kind of experiential or learning on the job mm -hmm. as opposed to going away and sitting in a classroom and reading mm -hmm. lots of papers and writing mm -hmm. theses. I found that really, really helpful and really um, useful. The third thing for me was once I started to develop um, a partnership and conversations with patients. Mm. Um, and I did that uh, myself uh, and actually talking to patients about what works, what doesn't work, what they want, what we should be doing differently, and talking to patients about when we get things wrong and being really transparent and open about it. This was a mess, sorry. If, you know, can you help me? How would we, how could we have done this differently? And most of the time, I think there's only been one, ex one occasion where a patient just was so angry they wanted um, punishment, they wanted, mm -hmm. you know, revenge. Uh, revenge. Yeah. But really, the rest of the time, it was all about, okay, this is what would terrible, 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 don't, you know, this is how you could have done things differently. So those were the really key points for me. So um, as an example of the sort of listening and learning, um, listening to something quite difficult, we have a system um, where the doctors, where there'd be serious incidents, for example, and they have to be investigated. You know, it's really important and that we learn from those um, lessons. And we try really hard to... Um, we're, not a no, we're a no-blame organisation because usually it is my belief that the um, reasons why things go wrong is usually a process or a system issue, not an individual, right? Very rarely is it incompetence or uh, neg negligence, okay? So we were... I, I, I take pride in the fact that that is how I run my organisation. And um, I went to a meeting where my fantastic doctors, senior doctors, uh, just wanted me to sit there and listen to how they didn't feel that. They felt blamed. They felt that the organization didn't, one of them said, didn't defend our honor. Mm. Um, and I was really shocked uh, to hear that. Um, and one of the things that made, it made me think, well, how can you, how can you say defend your honour against whom? And actually defend their honour against patients. But these are people who care deeply about patients, I know. 
they would advocate for patients. Yet in that situation, they felt that the patient was, I, I say this in inverted commas, the enemy. And um, that was terribly painful and difficult for me to hear, especially when I think that I have worked so hard to engage with my senior doctors. Um, and um, I didn't say anything. Uh, I went away. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I spoke to my kind of, I have a kind of advisor, facilitator who's outside of the organization. And um, he said, well, you do, they, they, want, they want you to hear how hard they're working. So that's one thing. And sit with it. So yes, I can do that. But also you need to listen. Is there something in the system that you need to go back and look at and just review? Um, and one of them said, oh, when you write the report, you, or you write a letter back to a patient who made a complaint, you say, thank you so much for raising this issue. It's been so helpful. And they said it in this sort of sarcastic voice. Um, and that, starting the letter with that made them feel that we were already admitting that they had done something wrong, which was really interesting, because I also see it from the patient's point of view. So um, I have thought long and hard about that, and I have got a little group of, of senior doctors now who are my advisors, who I sort of sit, so, and I sat with them and said, so how would you write this letter back to the patient? And how would you like to be supported during an investigation? And one of the things that we do is that we, um, when, an when an incident happens, we, I always phone the, the, the senior clinician, um, you know, this is terrible, this is awful, are you okay? And they're always very, very happy and grateful and, you know, appreciative of that. And then I say to them, if you need anything, give me a call or give the, the, the chief medical officer a call and we'll make sure that you're properly supported. They never do, okay? And then I realize that why would they? Because it is admission of weakness, uh, admission of something. So I spoke to a couple of them and I said, right, so from now on, I'm not going to say call me or call the chief medical officer. I'm going to say three sessions of support with so-and-so is compulsory. We don't have many things that are compulsory in our organization, but it's going to be there for you to um, just have three sessions to talk to someone about how you feel about that incident. So there's an example for you. A bit long, I'm afraid. But, but it's really brilliant because I think it's, it's, it's listening hard, it's reflecting on your own contribution, and it's going back and working with a small group of people um, to help reshape the process. Yeah. Also recognizing that it's very, very hard for clinicians, especially more senior clinicians, to ask for help. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and taking that off the table, saying here's something that yeah. is provided for yeah. you. You don't need to ask for help yeah. so that you take That's that away. Right. And it's a really great story. I think people will get some good learning out of that. You, you mentioned that there was a time that you weren't your best self, perhaps, or that you really learned an important lesson yeah. by something that didn't happen. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Sure, I can. So um, as an executive uh, chief operating officer, um, I, we, we had a situation where we had mixed sex wards, uh, mixed gender, um, and we were going to single um, sex accommodation. And in mental health, as a, as a woman, I feel that's really, really important. That I, I really feel strongly about women uh, being looked after in um, single-sex uh, accommodation. Um, and uh, we've done it in most places, but there was one particular part of our organisation where um, the, the consultants, who were all very good, mostly men, in fact, virtually all of them men, um, this would have been too difficult 
to organize the, the, the layout of the wards, uh, the, the configuration, their timetables, their ward rounds, their clinics, it would have meant a great deal of inconvenience. So they were very resistant to this happening. And um, my boss, my chief executive, again, a very wise man who I admired greatly, um, who took very, very wise decisions, sort of felt, mm, now's not the time to, to, to tackle this head on with these guys. We leave it. Um, because they're doing well, the bed occupancy is low, all their outputs are really good, we've got goodwill, we've got them on side, let's just, let's just leave it. Um, and I felt very upset and uncomfortable about it, but he's the boss, so we left it and we carried on elsewhere. Um, and that went on for about a year and a half, and then there was an incident, and we had um, potentially Care Quality Commission looking into it. Um, and then he was able to go back, to this group of, of, of senior clinicians, talked to them, and they changed things. And um, I felt, actually, for a year and a half, I allowed for many, many women to be looked after or to be cared for in that environment. And there was one incident. It wasn't hugely serious, but it was still an incident. And as a woman, I sort of questioned why I let that happen uh, and uh, why I didn't really speak up um, and, and make it happen because I got on very well with him and he uh, would have listened to me, I think, in the end um, if I had had the courage to sort of sit down and appeal to that side of him, which I know uh, is there. Um, so it, I would, would like to have done that differently. So the key advice is don't give up when you feel strongly. Don't give up when you feel strongly. Don't also, I think if I'd gone and had a big row with him or accused him of being sexist or whatever, that wouldn't have helped. Sort of find a way of understanding, you know, what his concerns were. And he was very worried that he would, we would lose something in pushing this too far. And maybe finding a way of talking to him about how we could still get it, still get it done um, and preserve the goodwill that we had. Right, yeah. Courage mm -hmm. is really key for Absolutely. leadership. Great. Absolutely. I want to thank you very thank much. You.